This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Yes, you've caught me in the middle of allergy season. The world is conspiring to turn my voice into a baritone or bass. But uh, whether you like that or not, this is how I'm going to sound for the next 20 minutes. Um, this is uh, not painful. And that's one of the nice things about allergy season, I suppose, is that it uh, goes through different phases and different stages. I'd rather sound a little bit funny than be sneezing and have watering eyes and things like that. But uh, if you want to be outside and you want to be fishing this time of year, which is a great time of year to be fishing, to be hiking, to be running, to be doing all sorts of stuff, then you're going to be experiencing these kind of symptoms if you uh, have allergies. The other day I went for a run and uh, the, the air felt like uh, breathing uh, a mouthful of a very full-bodied cigar. Um, it was just thick with pollen. But that is uh, what, what you get if you are outside in the springtime, especially in New England. Lots of pine trees up here and lots of thick, gnarly pollen. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about things that you get when you are a new fly fisher that you either get rid of, and you shouldn't, or you keep when you should upgrade. So this might sound a bit arbitrary, and it is, but you know, stick with me. We're going to talk about some things that you inevitably got when you became a new angler, and you just hung on to and you haven't really used, or you haven't really upgraded, or you maybe just got rid of and never gave a second thought. Uh, but these are three things that I think are very valuable, and they can really add something to your time on the water. Now, as always, gear is not what makes fishing. But gear is an essential part of fishing. So there's 
plenty of ways to have a wonderful day on the water, a wonderful season and life on the water without paying attention to the minutia of gear and, and really diving into things at the granular level like I am on this podcast. But at the same time, if you get one thing that helps you one time on the water, then I think it's worth it. So the first thing is the smallest thing on the list. You might say this is absolutely ridiculous, but, but just bear with me, right? Uh, when you get a vest, uh, really probably from any major brand, uh, with the exception of some of the higher end uh, vests that are like really technologically advanced and have all sorts of bells and whistles, um, most fly fishing vests, especially the entry-level vests, come with something either pinned to them or in one of the pockets. What is that? It's a little wool patch. And I know countless people that have come up to me as new anglers and said, what in the world is this? What am I supposed to do with this? And that little wool patch is to stick your flies in. And why would you do that? Well, you can store flies on a wool patch. You can dry out flies on a wool patch. You can use that, that wool patch as the sole place where you have keep and dry out flies. You don't even need a fly box if you only have a half dozen flies. So, oh, but a lot of people don't like them because they're big and they're bulky and because they kind of look like you have a very small sheep. Uh, writing on your uh, your shoulder. Uh, but they are valuable. They do come in handy. Now, I'll be very uh, frank. I, I don't like the wool patch. Um, I don't like how they hold flies. I also don't like, in the sense that I don't like the fact that they're not super secure. Um, but I like the concept. And what is the concept? The concept behind the wool patch, which functions just fine. It's just not my preference is a place where you can keep flies externally. Now, this is very, very valuable, and not just for your traditional trout fishing. I actually employ a certain version of this when I'm in the salt, and let me explain why. When you have a, a saturated fly, so let's say it's something uh, like, a, like a woolly bugger. So you have a chenille body, and that is going to hang on to a lot of moisture. You have a marabou tail that's going to be wet. You can even see that usually when you take that out of the water and you put it, you know, go to put it away, it's going to be matted down. And even the hackle and the thread is going to have a little bit of water on it. So you have this wet fly. You put it away in a fly box. Where is that water going to go? Now, a little bit of moisture is not going to be the worst thing in the world. Everything that you utilize to tie and fish your flies, so the materials and the hooks, as well as the places you're going to keep them, are going to be relatively resistant uh, to moisture, and they're able to, to deal with it. They're not going to rust up within a few days. At the same time, over the course of a season, over the course of a couple of seasons, all of that moisture, particularly under less than ideal circumstances, so your entire box gets wet, at you know one time and then you continue to introduce moisture or you don't store it in the best way possible then all that moisture is going to inevitably lead to the eventual deterioration of those materials as well as the hooks and the absolute last thing you want is for a hook to snap and on fine wire hooks the kind of hooks that are used in midges the kinds that are used in small dry flies the kinds that are even used in in just normal sized dry flies that want to have a light presentation those are going to be very susceptible 
to deterioration from rust, and it might not even be perceptible by the naked eye. It might look fine. It might just look a little bit tarnished, but you've actually had a significant chemical reaction that happens on that metal, and they are going to fail eventually. I mean, that's just the nature of the game. So that's a lot of dire warnings, and you that gets exacerbated as you talk about fishing in the saltwater. Having that moisture along with that salt is going to do a double action on all of your flies that are in your box. So what do I like to do? Whether I'm fishing for trout, whether I'm fishing for bass, whether I'm fishing for striper on the, the coast, I like to have something on my pack that effectively functions like that wool patch, although it isn't a wool patch, because a wool patch is going to hold on to moisture. So if you're fishing and it's wet out, it's raining or something like that, then all of that water from the rain and from the moisture is going to uh, cause that wool patch itself to get saturated. So I would suggest getting a piece of foam and using a piece of foam. In fact, I've had vests I've bought before that come with foam and not with uh, wool. And this is nice because it uh, it's not going to hang on to that moisture and usually it has like ripples and uh, it's also easier to remove a fly from foam the same time, the more you use it, this, the more chunked up it's going to get and the, the less efficiency you're going to get of it from holding your flies. So a couple of options. They have sold other under a number of brands and a diff, bunch of options, uh, very small fly boxes that uh, have a magnetic uh, piece to them. Now what I've done, I've done this for a few different vests back when I used to use vests more, is I've taken these small boxes. These are like slimline boxes, very, very thin. This is really only applicable for trout flies. Um, and I have added a Velcro um, uh, piece of adhesive on the back of the uh, little fly box and then a piece of Velcro adhesive up on my shoulder. So it's out of my way. And now I put that up there, not like on the top of my shoulder, like a like, you know, some sort of uh, thing like a dictator would wear, but like on on the place that you would you would have your your wool patch. So kind of on the front of your chest, like oh, above your 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 pack, but below your collarbone and right there. And now I can just pop that thing open put a fly on that magnetic piece. And what I've done actually is I've gone and I've drilled little holes um, in the fly box to allow for uh, air to flow in and out. I actually had a bigger one one time um, and uh, one side had the magnetic, the other side had a little bit of foam. And it worked great. It worked great for seasons and seasons and seasons. In fact, it is. it looks really, really nasty. It's gotten beat up and it's just got a bunch of you know gunk on it, but it still works really well. But what I've switched to is a silicone cylinder and that silicone cylinder is found on the flytrap. Flytrap is a little gadget that I absolutely love. It not only replaces the um the wool patch for your vest, but it can go on your vest, it can go on your sling pack, it can go on your chest pack, your fanny pack, it can go on all the storage solutions that I I'm I've mentioned in a previous podcast when I went over these different things. But the cool thing about it is that if you have no pack, you're just fishing in waders, it can go on your waiter strap. And if you're fishing just you know, the way you are, you can clip it onto your, um, the belt loop of your, of your pants and you can fish with it that way. But it's a silicone cylinder that goes around a little device that also has places to put on tippet, um, spools as well as other tools. But all, all that to say, I mean, that, that would be my suggestion. The fly trap would be my suggestion for you, but, uh, utilize something like that. Just because you pitched your wool patch that you got with that first vest that you bought 10, 15, 20 years ago, doesn't mean you can't utilize it or something like it to keep your flies handy 
which is something we didn't even talk about, but that's pretty self-explanatory. The most common flies that you want and need and use, uh, if they're handy, there's something about our heads where we have to dig into our pouch. We might be more resistant to changing flies, even though we should. But if they're right there in front of us, snip off the nymph, tie on the dry, make three casts, snip it off, tie back on the nymph, move through the pool, keep fishing. If you have it more at hand, then you may be more predisposed to utilizing different flies as needed when you're on the water. Just the first thing. Again, a very simple thing. Uh, seven and a half minutes by my estimation talking about it. But it's a simple thing that can really maximize um, and optimize your time on the water. So wool patch, whether you use it or you upgrade, um, then I would suggest that you, you keep that in mind. The second one is uh, a safety issue, and I think a lot of people would um, would agree with me. Most people would agree with that, and very few people would uh, detract from from this perspective. But a wading belt, all right. Virtually every pair of waders that you buy today, as long as they are chest waders or waist waders, I guess, uh, are going to come with a wading belt. Now you might not give this thing a second thought, and uh, you, but you should especially if you take it off and get rid of it because you don't like dealing with it. Um, very rarely do I see guys out there uh, without waiting belts, but it does happen from time to time. So of course the security or security, the safety issue here is if you fall in without a waiting belt, then water is going to find its way into those waders and it's going to fill up all the way from your toes up to the opening of those waders. I've had this happen before. Uh, I've had waiting belts on every time. Um, and so very little water will get into your, um, uh, past your, your waiting belt. If you have it cinched tightly, um, once you stand up all that water, as you're trying to get it out from your waist up to your chest is going to start to trickle down to the point where you will have wet socks, but you won't be at the bottom of the, the river. Um, and you won't be, uh, being carried downstream, uh, because now you are not just moving yourself. You're moving yourself with however many gallons of water can also fit in your waders. So it is a important thing to have that in there. You also have the buoyancy of the air that's trapped beneath your um, your wading belt if you were to fall in, and that will assist you as opposed to impede you as you are trying to get yourself right side up and dry. So that's the the safety concern. Now, one of the things that I've found very strange, I've, I've, I've never really mentioned this at some point in time over the last you know few years I've been doing the podcast. I've bought a number of pair of waders and I've checked out a, a lot of waders, both for fly fishing and for hunting, uh, different grades, you know, entry level, high end, and the wading belt is stretchy. Now, wading belt being stretchy is nice for comfort. As you move, as you shift, as you bend, it's not going to cinch on you. As you change layers, you're not going to need to take out that strap and kind of maneuver it around in, in buckles, which isn't isn't the most easy thing to do or the most fun thing to do. So I get that. I think the big problem, though, in having a nylon that is stretchy is really two issues. One, um, as you fall in, you are going to move and it's going to allow more water in. It might be negligible to the point where the fly fishing manufacturers have said, this is not really a big deal. And so then I would say, okay, I get that. That's fine. But the second one is that a waiting belt can be an incredibly useful part of your gear storage. So where do I carry my net? I carry it on a little contraption I have from Vitavu um, that goes on my back on my waiting belt. And so having a rigid nylon waiting belt allows me to put my net on there and it's not going to flop or bend or kind of want to keel backwards. 
I have a couple other things I've put on my belt in, in over the years, a water bottle holster. Um, it's great to have on your hip. That way it's not pulling on your shoulders, especially if you are kind of packing a minimal, um, you know, way of doing things for the rest of your gear. So having a water bottle holster, if you have a floppy belt or no belt, then you can't have that. It's always important to stay hydrated on the water. I've had other contraptions that I've used for carrying a second rod. And one of the things I like to do if I'm, again, packing minimalistically is to wedge my rain jacket um, at the small of my back uh, uh, behind my waders and in front of my wading belt. Um, now you might say, oh, well, now aren't you, you know, making things loose so that the water can get in? Well, again, if the, the belt is rigid, if it's a thick nylon, then uh, it's not going to, it's still going to compress itself uh, around you with your, your wading jacket or your rain jacket uh, compressed between it and your waders. So that's something just to keep an eye on. If you want to add things to it, then make sure you you have a waiting belt that's rigid. You can get them from countless places, and you can get them that have little attachment points where you could clip that pair of you know heavy duty pliers. Um, if you are fishing minimalistically and you want to you know put a couple of things up on your waiter straps and then a couple of larger things down on your belt then you can slide things on there. You can, and I would say do that. Don't do that on your, um, your waiter belt loops. Those are weak points more often than not on your entire waiter setup. Um, manufacturers that do it well, attach it to the outside of your waiters, of the, the breathable uh, material that is, comprises the body of your waiters. But sometimes they will have stitching that gets taped. And so if the, the waiting belt belt loops were to tear, then that would now be a leak in your waders. So I don't like to attach anything to those. Uh, they simply are guides to keep my wading belt from sliding low or sliding high on the body of my waders and on me. So uh, that might seem like a simple thing, but that's something that you inevitably got when you purchased a pair of waders or were given a pair of waders. Make sure you're using it for safety's sake, but make sure you're using it well. And if it is stretchy and uh, to the point where you can't put things on it for storage and for safekeeping, then go out and buy a new waiting belt. It's worth the $20, um, I guarantee it. All right, so first thing is the wool patch that you can start with and go from there. Second thing is a waiting belt. The third one is something I've written about a lot lately and I've inevitably talked about a lot lately uh, because it's it's just makes so much sense. And these days it's so different uh, than it used to be. The beginner fly rod combo, all right? The beginner fly rod combo. So where do you get your first fly rod combo? More often than not, you get it in a package. You go to a store, whether it be a big box store or whether it be a fly shop or whether it be online. Um, and, you know, when I say big box store, it could be Bass Pro or Cabela's or Gainer Mountain or, you know, Shields or wherever you're going in your part of the world. Um, or it could even be Target and Walmart. And I've seen stuff at Target and Walmart. And, you know, I'm sure there's an article there. I'm sure it's been written by somebody about like buying all of your fly fishing stuff at Walmart and seeing how your day goes. Um, but at different times, I know that Orvis has supplied stuff to Walmart. I know that Cortland has supplied stuff to Walmart. I know that a bunch of these different brands get their stuff put on the shelves. And I'm not speaking from someone who has any insider knowledge. Well, I have a little bit of it when it comes to this stuff, but not enough to speak authoritatively. But uh, a lot of the gear that you see in these places, uh, especially if it's coming from overseas uh, and some of the other products in those companies' lineups from, come from overseas, you're seeing the same stuff with lower quality 
kind of um, peripheral components. So the there might not be as many thread wraps, there might not be as much of a finish on it, the real seat might be a little lower quality, but the graphite blank is probably the same when it comes to the rods. And from the reels, when we're talking about die cast stuff, it is by and large the same kind of thing. And it's, it's remarkable. Sometimes you can find uh, in the wild a, a reel or a rod that is quote-unquote generic, and you can line it up with something you can find in the fly shop, usually on the lower end of the, the, the lines and the, the cost spectrum. And they are almost the same thing with the exception of uh, a few cosmetic and component uh, differences. All that to say, um, getting back to these beginner rod and reel kits. Uh, these days, with very few exceptions, um, the stuff that you get as a beginner is going to be very, very useful, especially when you're talking trout fishing and in most circumstances and in warm water fishing. Um, I'd be more than happy to fish all day with a eight weight or a seven weight combo that I got at a big box store for panfish and for bass. Um, the, the size of the flies that I'm casting around here, uh, the distances I'm casting for, for bass and other warm water species around here. Uh, I don't need a super high performance, uh, rod bombing out, you know, 80 feet foot casts for, for largemouth bass and smallmouth bass. I'm content with a rod that can generate enough line speed with a big bulky fly, um, which more often than not is going to be more about the way you cast than it is about the construction of a rod uh, in those situations. And you can probably get that for $75 for a rod reel line. The line might be the weak spot in that equation, as I've often said, that the line is, is usually what makes or breaks uh, a decent rod or a functional rod. Uh, but these are things that once you get them, don't pitch them, don't relegate them to the junk drawer have them on hand, have them on hand, both so that you have a backup, make sure that things go in with you everywhere you go. Um, you know, you might have an $800 fly rod that you have moved into, but if it snaps, it's not worth anything to you. And that rod that you bought for $50 when you started fly fishing is now worth everything to you because you're on the water and the fish are biting. So to be able to switch those out, there is no street cred lost. There is no social media points that you have forfeited. It is now a very important thing to have. But as I've often said before, now this is the rod that you can put in the hands of your kid, of your neighbor, of your fishing buddy, of your coworker, of your spouse. They can they can now use that when when they go with you to fish. Or it's making loan out to somebody. I have a couple of rods. I don't know where they are because they were introductory rods that, well, they were probably given to me for, for casting across, but I've given them out for people to use. And if they're still using them, great. Um, hopefully they're using them or they've given them to somebody else, but somebody can use them. They are not useless. So they are something that we often accumulate when we are new into fly fishing, but uh, they are things that we shouldn't just jettison, shouldn't just get rid of because we have outgrown them. Uh, they may be useful to us in the near future, and they may be useful to somebody else uh, right now. So three quick things that we usually get when we start fishing that I would just encourage you to give a second thought. Fly wool patch, a wading belt, and the boxed beginner combo. Each one has a place today, and each one is a concept that is worth uh, making sure that you pay attention to for safety, for efficiency, and uh, for making sure that you get the most of your time on the water. Do you have an idea of something like this? Something that is something that you get as a beginner that maybe uh, you, you get rid of 
often, but actually you've come to use uh, more and benefit from, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. This week on the website, the first article is called River Apollo 1. River Apollo 1. Now, this is a story. I haven't done this in a while, but uh, it's going to be a multi-part story. How many parts? I don't know. Um, that's one of the kind of fun slash weird things about doing things in these formats. Uh, inevitably, I want to go back and edit it. And maybe I'll do that in the future. But right now, we're just rolling. Uh, I have the structure and the skeleton, the story in my head. And I'm a little bit on paper and notes. But it's going to come out. So it's a narrative. Um, and uh, check it out. It's a different kind of writing for me on Casting Across. But hopefully, you enjoy it. It's called River Apollo. And the first part came out this week. Wednesday's article is called Mere Conservationism. So if you listen to the podcast, then you know that this was the name of my podcast last Friday, last week. And uh, this is now just the written form of that. Usually it's the other way around. It is the uh, written pieces turn into podcasts. And uh, But this, this time around, I kind of spoke extemporaneously, and I went back through and categorized my thoughts and put it into like 450 words. And so that article made it to the podcast, excuse me, the, the, the website on Wednesday. So check that out. This week's recommendation is Old Town Canoes. They really need no introduction, and there's nothing that I can say that is going to add to what has already been said about what is a staple in American paddling for a long, long time. They're made up in Maine. Uh, I actually got to go up to the factory to go pick up my canoe that I use. But uh, whether it be a canoe, whether it be a kayak, whether it be something very, very traditional um, or something a little bit more newfangled, uh, they all work great. Um, I have to say that I have used a number of kayaks and canoes over the year, and I have been most impressed um, with my time in my uh, Old Town Canoe, as well as some of the kayaks that I've I've fished out of and paddled out of that are from Old Town. So if you are in the market for a new kayak or canoe, I can say nothing but great things, not just about the products, but about the people that are behind Old Town. So I'll put a link to Old Town um, in this podcast show notes at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.